Spotlight with Sarah Hendy. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Faster My, it's Sarah Hendy here with you until half past six this evening. Can you imagine how organ music sounds when paired with beatboxing? English organist Tom Bell tells us more tonight. He's on the island to play a programme of Victorian organ music this Friday. And we speak to the conductor and pianist for Carmina Burana and Beethoven's Choral Fantasia. On March the 29th, the Isle of Man Choral Society, Isle of Man Symphony Orchestra and the Manx Youth Choir bring us a spectacular concert at the Villa Marina Royal Hall, Orff's Carmina Burana and Beethoven's Choral Fantasia. We're now joined by piano soloist for Beethoven's Choral Fantasia, Judith Christian, and the concert's conductor, Julian Power. On this occasion, we wanted to do, I elected to do, um, Beethoven's Choral Fantasia to supplement Carmina Burana. And it starts off with a piano solo, which Beethoven himself played. It was the final piece he played as a virtuoso pianist. And he extemporized on it because he didn't have time to write it out. And um, so, you know, I asked Judith if she'd come and play it. And she said she'd play it from the very beginning, which includes this extemporization, which, which um, Beethoven himself played. He did subsequently write it out. And that's what she's playing. And it is just awesome. It's a great thrill. So it starts with this wonderful, exciting piano bit. And then the orchestra come in. And then the soloists come in. And then the choir come in. And it was the finale of a fabulous concert which he put together, which um, he performed his fifth symphony, which had never been heard before, his sixth symphony, which had never been heard before, his fourth piano concerto, which had never been heard before, his mass in C, and another short aria before the final, which was this this fabulous choral fantasia, bringing all the resources together. And he played for it himself and conducted it himself, and it fell apart. (laughs) He had to start it again. How do you think you turn something like that around at Beethoven? You don't imagine something like that happening, really, do you? (laughs) Lack of rehearsal. rehearsal. He only started writing it in December and it was performed on the 22nd of December that year. So he didn't have time to rehearse it properly with anybody. And so this enormous, enormous concert in a theatre with no heat in Vienna in December freezing cold so the audience was sitting there for four hours <laughs> no heat in December just amazing there's so many questions to ask there and uh, I suppose learn from the best people the advice is to uh, rehearse um but Judith I don't know I imagine it might be something that makes your heart sing when you sort of in set in with all of those people around you playing with you very much so I mean first of all I, I must thank Julian um, for inviting me to play this and to give me the opportunity to perform which I don't do very often so when um, I had the phone call with Julian received the phone call and um, was asked to do this I really was over the moon and I um, 
I had actually performed in this work before in 1972 um, at Cheatham's, but as a violinist. So I was probably the back desk of second violins at the time. Peter Donohoe reminded me of this last year when he was over for the Manannan Festival, that he was the pianist. And um, he gave me good tips saying, make sure you get that opening 10 minutes really well practised, Jude. You know, it, it is quite... Um, Daunting, stunning. It it is. It's 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 exciting. It really is. It's a fabulous, fabulous piece to play, um, and it's so different because it does start um, with with the piano solo. It could almost be like a sonata starting, really, and then um, after a lengthy piano solo, nerve wracking piano solo, really, um, the orchestra then come in, and then it's like a piano concerto. And then the last few minutes, the the chorus come in. The opening is very dramatic indeed. Typical Beethoven style, you know, very dramatic. Very showy-offy, actually. Um, and you can imagine that Beethoven, um, it was improvised. And it was, I think it was two years later, wasn't it, Julian, that he, he wrote it down, you know. And then it becomes very lyrical, absolutely gorgeous, Um Really beautiful, beautiful um, work. I, I I just love it. When, love it. That's really when the orchestra come in and start melting it together. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, 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 you see, it's, it's written thrill. in it's written in two movements again, which is unusual. It's just it's a very unusual piece, but um, exciting is the word. It sounds like a roller coaster ride. Mm. How are you preparing something so epic? <laughs> rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In, in, the, the, the old adage, you know, how do you get to, to the Carnegie Hall in New York? and Rehearse. <laughs> <laughs> practice, they say, practice. Are you rehearsing separately or are you rehearsing together? Or is that something that will come later? Well, I've just been involved in the choral rehearsals. I've, I've been to about three, I think. Um, so main, and, and then I'll be joining the orchestra next week. Um, but up until now, it's purely in my music room at home, um, practice, practice. And yeah, I, th- I think I've been to about three, three choir rehearsals. The, the Isle of Man Symphony Orchestra perform often in the Isle of Man and they have a performance on Sunday, the 15th of March in Peel. And um, so they start rehearsing Carmina Burana and Beethoven's Choral Fantasia on the 18th (laughs) for a performance on the 29th. We are very fortunate that they are all wonderful musicians and we're bringing some from across as well to supplement them. So we have a great orchestra. I would like to have had more rehearsal opportunity with them, as I'm sure Judith would. But there we are. That's the way it is. But the other work that we're doing, Carmina Burana, of course, is very tricky to play for the orchestra. And it's a hugely exciting work, which is actually performed and is so well known because it's in so many films, the opening of X Factor, and in so many different uh, times that the music is used. And on this occasion, because Karl Orff wrote it as a stage work, not just a choral work, uh, on this occasion we are having uh, the Ellen Van Im Gymnastics Club come and perform with us as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing them perform and they're going to perform in the opening and closing ceremony and in the dance number in the middle and so this is tremendously exciting so there will all together be 270 performers in the Villa Marina all performing at the same time what a spectacle that's incredible have we had anything on that scale before um yes it does occur but only very occasionally I believe that 
Alan Picard's memorial concert had a similar number of performers. And I had the privilege then of conducting um, Mozart's Requiem, which was the first work which Alan Picard chose to perform with the Teachers' Choir, now the Isle of Man Choral Society, back in 1980. Gosh. Since I came back from the Royal Northern College of Music um, in 77, um, Alan Pickard involved me um, almost straight away um, with the different choirs he was conducting and, and um, the orchestra. I, I played a concerto with the Manx Youth Orchestra in, in Norway, actually. So I've known these people for a long time and to be making music with them again, um, it's, it's just wonderful and I, I will do my best. <laughs> I'm sure you will, and I'm sure it'll be fabulous as well. You had the privilege of performing at Alan's memorial concert too, Eclogue. Yes, I did. I, 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 Beautiful. I, I'd, I'd performed that with Alan, Finzi's Eclogue, um, which is one of Alan's favourite pieces. And then we performed it uh, with Morris Powell conducting at um, his memorial. And also I had the opportunity of going to Eton College last year um, to hear his son, Tom Picard, conducting it um, with the Eton Orchestra. And it really was a very emotional time. And Alan would be so incredibly proud, you know. So, um, yes, but going back to performing in the villa on the 29th, I th I'm hoping it's, I, I know it's going to be, like I say, exciting, but it's it's going to be, I feel it's going to be lots of friends there and um, it's going to help the nerves. <laughs> a pianist's life is very lonely, actually, as you can imagine. You're sitting in a practice room normally and, you know, on your own. Um, so in the past when I've accompanied people, it's great just making music with other people, you know. Um, but this is just going to be fabulous. You know, I'm very, very excited. Of course, I'm very nervous about it. it, it um, of course I am, but I'm very excited um, just to be making music with lots of friends too, you know, lots of friends in, in the orchestra and the choir. And I have to um, thank my wonderful, wonderful neighbours, Simon and <laughs> Beck Green, um, who are the most understanding um, and patient. Um, they haven't once complained about my practising. Of course, I on a Sunday morning, it doesn't happen before 10 o'clock, you know, but um, they have been so wonderful um, in putting up and and I can honestly say they will know the notes as well as I do uh, so <laughs> I was going to say there will be two people in the audience who know the Beethoven as well as me Simon and Beck Green so thank you neighbours <laughs> <laughs> by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Organ recital and beatboxing aren't words you often hear in the same sentence, but UK organist Tom Bell has been pushing boundaries with his instrument. He's visiting the island to play the first concert as part of his new and rather different project, an immersive Victorian concert experience complete with readings and costume. Now, Tom, there's no beatboxing this time, but this isn't exactly your average organ recital. <laughs> well, I hope not, no. Um, 
I think it's been billed as being immersive. That might have been a word I used. I'm not quite sure that's quite fair. It makes it sound like some sort of strange art installation. Um, but it's a bit different. It's uh, Victorian themed. I'll be in costume and so on, on, on a beautiful Victorian organ in Douglas as well. So that's that's, that's a slightly, slightly different angle on things, perhaps. Uh, a visitor's encouraged to wear Victorian costume yeah, as well. That would be really cool. I've got this idea, actually. Okay, so perhaps I should explain what this, where this started. Um, so I wanted to try and recreate in some way the Victorian concert experience because the stagecraft is different and the way in which they played the organ was different but that that's geeky for organists so you know but even so Please and then there's the share. costume the sort of frock coats and all that sort of stuff and uh so i, I wanted to to create a victorian style program so where that that's where this is um this that's where this is coming from tell us about the geeky stuff how were how was the and i mean you know i don't want to keep you all day but if you're able to describe at all how the, the victorians playing the organ was so different to today well okay i mean it, it's all tied in with technological developments um, and the fact that you went from the organ being this little sort of chamber instrument that made a nice little sound in the corner to being something that could fill the Albert Hall um, with torrents and torrents of noises or St Paul's Cathedral or whatever, but also a place like Trinity Methodist in Douglas where the organ makes this huge noise for its sound, for its size, and it's all to do with the technological developments. And alongside that, uh, people in the UK suddenly de- de- discovered music by composers like Bach. If you go back to the 18th century, Bach was writing for organs... Uh, where he lived in central Germany that had pedals you could play with your feet and so he wrote for that and um, got the most out of it he possibly could writing really difficult parts of the feet and so on and so forth now in England they simply couldn't do that because the organs didn't have pedals and they started to come in in the 19th century and people were amazed by this and wowed by it and all of a sudden local corporations and city councils were building these enormous uh, civic spaces like St George's Hall in Liverpool right opposite Lime Street Station it's one of the most amazing buildings and in it is a huge organ and in several of these other types of buildings like the Albert Hall there are these enormous organs and they just made this extraordinary sound and on it was played music which people had never heard before like Bach or pieces for orchestra which were transcribed to the organ and there's a kind of sort of almost a it's a slightly Victorian and paternalistic but there's a uh, there's a sort of social social action angle on this in, in a way so that the Victorians decided they wanted to provide something you know the, 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 the city fathers decided they wanted to provide something for everybody uh, and so uh, obviously it'd be rather expensive to have an orchestra uh, to provide music for people to go to so what you could do is build an organ that was big enough for an organist to play the orchestral music on the organ so what happened in Liverpool for example is you had all the, the hoity-toity people up at the Philharmonic Hall would go to their big expensive orchestral concert and the city organist would play exactly the same music transcribed for organ only which is like an amazing feat anyway uh, down the ho- down the road for like half a penny and anybody could come and people did three concerts a week thousands of people there it's just a completely different world totally different world so i wanted i want i wanted to explore how these organs were played and the sort of music that was played on them because a long time ago worthy revisiting sorry that was too much wasn't it not at all no <laughs> I, I mean yeah on spotlight we love the nitty gritty we love the detail of uh how things work and why people love what they do so no go to town friend um and in order in order to do that in order to explore that and to create this immersive experience you're you, you've put together a program inspired by the work of wt best tell us a little bit about him okay so uh he was the doyen of the victorian concert organist um absolutely legendary in his time 
time. Uh, he had a repertoire of something like 5,000 pieces, which I can't quite get my head around. He's the guy that was organist at St George's Hall in Liverpool from the mid-1850s until he retired at the end of the 19th century. Uh, so that whole period, um, the Victorian period, after, you know, from the, about the mid-19th century when people had started playing things like Bach um, to the end, he bridges all of that. And he transcribed all these orchestral works for for organ. It's, it's difficult to play. Um, it's crazy. And he edited Bach's music and all the rest of it. So uh, he'd be the person to look at first if you were going to go and examine the Victorian concert organist and that sort of tradition. So that's where the that's the starting point. And he left behind, um, from a geeky perspective, again, he left behind editions and arrangements of music where he tells you everything he wants he tells you what speed he wants it to go at he tells you what sounds he wants the organist to use he tells you which fingers and feet to use where so you get the, the actual whether it's legato or staccato all of that is there on the page there's this enormous detail so it's this historical record of how he played and then if you read accounts of his concerts and compare what's described with what he left on his music it, it matches up so it's clearly representative of what he did so again maybe that's geeky but it's a, it's a great place to go and go and start uh, to explore this this victorian style of playing because i can sit on a victorian organ like the one at trinity methodist and i can play it like somebody might have done in the 1880s or whatever do you ever disagree with his micromanaging instructions <laughs> it screws your head up slightly when you're playing stuff like um, Bach, where you spend, generally speaking, as a musician, you spend quite a lot of time trying to think how a central German organist or violinist or whatever or singer would perform in, in the mid-18th century, to then suddenly take that same music and have to think about how somebody might play it in the mid-19th century. I mean, it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but there's a massive difference um, in terms of speed, in terms of style, so on and so forth. You know, you, I could play the same piece twice in a sort of Bach style from the 18th century and then in a Victorian style and it would sound really quite different. Mm -hmm. Do you have a preference? (laughs) Well you know what the thing with the beauty of being an organist is that every organ is different and so if I was sat in Germany playing an 18th century instrument that Bach might have played which I'm going to do next month I'm going to be over uh, well coronavirus permitting going to be over playing uh, in Germany on on a Bach organ on that instrument I I want to try and recapture um, what it was that Bach did, uh, and to really connect with that. Playing a Victorian organ like Trinity Methodist or wherever, um, I, I want to try and connect with what a 19th century organist w- w- would have done and how, how that organ would have been played and how it would have been heard. The programme that you've devised for the concert this Friday, um, is it an upbeat one? Is it quite dramatic? Uh, what kind of... Wh- where is it on that scale? Well, it hopefully it does everything. So we start with the high drama of um, a, a big sort of march from an opera, a coronation march. It's a crowning of some weird king or queen or whatever, um, European piece. Uh, so we start with this big dramatic march. Uh, and then shortly after, we go right down and we have the famous Air on a G-String by Bach and then a Sicilian, which is quite a well-known tune as well by his. They're both really muted, very beautiful pieces. And then at the other end of the scale, you have one of Bach's greatest organ pieces played in this quite extrovert um, 19th century uh, approach. Um, and then there's also a piece by a bloke called David Clegg, who is from Rochdale, near where I live in Lancashire, um, called A Church Service Interrupted by a Thunderstorm. And you start off with, like, it just sounds like church on a Sunday morning, and then you start playing a hymn, and the audience can join in if they want. Um, 
and and then all these weird storm sounds start happening. I have to put my hands across the keys at the bottom to make the organ go sort of thunder sounds, and eventually it just becomes all stormy, and then it dies away again at the end. I'm watch I'm watching the sea mist come into the the bay just from this studio, and it's it's a bit like that, and then it sort of goes away again, and the sun comes out, and the birds start to sing. Gosh. So it's all sorts. Yeah, it's yeah. a real journey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting an idea for why you love the organ the way you do, because I can't think of another instrument where you can kind of fit an entire org- orchestra into mm. one instrument. What was it about the organ that made you want to play it? I think it is that. I think it's the variety of sounds at first. So I played the piano as a kid. started playing the organ when I was about 10. And I think it was just the variety, the high-pitched squeaky sounds, low rumbles, stuff in the middle, stuff that sounds like big trumpets, stuff that's all sort of mellow and stringy, whatever. So I enjoyed exploring all that sort of stuff. But allied to that, it's got such a long history. I mean, the earliest surviving bits of organ we have are from 4 BC, which, yeah, exactly, you're pulling a face like, what? And it's true. Um, so the, the organ's repertoire, I mean, doesn't go back that far, but there's music that goes back centuries and centuries and centuries. So I can play that, I can play stuff from the... 13th or 14th century and I can also work with folk musicians or beatboxers and you know which I've done uh, at the complete other end of the scale um, I love the variety that gives me and I can play all sorts of styles of music in between I don't really think there's another instrument that has quite that breath didn't go quite back so far for a start mm-hmm. and then you know it's great when you start working with a beatboxer and they love the sound of the organ basically because it's so huge and they they want to work with it as well so suddenly i'm playing kind of hip-hop derived music tell us about that because that's quite a yeah as you say it's quite an unusual match (laughs) well i'm hoping to do it again i've done it a few times um so for me this started uh Gosh, it's about six years ago, and there was an organ in London at the South Bank Centre at the Royal Festival Hall that had been restored, and um, there was a big festival to mark its reinstallation. It was all in the press. It was quite a big deal, really. And uh, they did. They wanted to do all sorts of different things. So they got. We were talking about Father Ted earlier on before before we went on air. Um, the guy who wrote the soundtrack for that, uh, the Divine Comedy bloke Neil Hannon, they commissioned him to write a piece for organ and choir and orchestra. So I played that. And they also commissioned a beatboxer called Shlomo to compose a piece for me and another beatboxer called Reap's One. And then we had all these sort of jam sessions and Shlomo was like, yeah, I want to perform as well. So then it was two beatboxers against the organ. And then about a week before, Shlomo was like, it's still not huge enough. I want a choir as well. So we then had choir, two beatboxers and organ. And it was it was just this massive kind of face-off, but it was so much fun. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. So we did that. I did a thing with him on the radio around the same time, reinventing Ravel's Bolero. If you if you Google beatbox Bolero, you'll find it. Um, and I'm it's quite cool. Um, I think people think, Oh, organ, so kind of church hymn, um, possibly a bit dowdy and plain. Of course, it doesn't have to be like that at all. Come along on Friday night and find out. Um, but but equally, it doesn't have to be Victorian concert organists with frock coats. It, it can be hip-hop. It can be all sorts of things like that. It's great. It's really yeah. fun. Wonderful. Well, um, I hope that one day you find a way to incorporate the immersive Victorian concert experience with the beatboxing. I think that would be a sight to behold. Um, so, But we'll have to wait for that. This Friday, though, um, the concert starts at 7.30, is that right, at yeah. Trinity? Trinity, yeah. yeah. Are they, is it ticketed? Is it a ticketed I event? I believe so. Yes, um, yeah, lovely. I think you can turn Pay up. on the door. Just turn up on the door. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, Tom, it's been so lovely to find out about you and your work. Thank you very much for joining us. Cheers.
we heard there was Tom and Shlomo's beatbox take on Ravel's Bolero. Do head down to Tom's concert at Trinity Church in Douglas at half past seven this Friday. You won't be disappointed. That's all we have time for this week. I'll be back next Wednesday at six with more creative news from around the island. Until then, have a lovely creative week. Slen you.